Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us again. Today's episode, we have the co-founder of Black Soil, Trevor Claiborne. You may know him as Farmer Brown, the MC, if you've seen him on YouTube. Trevor promotes the field of agriculture and agri-science to the youth and hopes to encourage them to adopt the rural life. Welcome, Trevor. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you so much for for having me. Before we get started, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you a native Lexingtonian or Kentuckian? Okay, so I was originally born in Macomb, Mississippi, uh, but I was pretty much raised in Lexington, Kentucky, uh-huh. so I would consider myself a Kentuckian. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm a graduate of Bryan Station High School, graduated there in 1998. I did hip-hop music for about five, well, 10 years, lived in Atlanta, Georgia for five years, mm-hmm. interned with Motown and Arista Records. I returned back to Lexington in 2006. During that time, I was a janitor for a little bit, mm-hmm. did, you know, a lot of work. So in 2009, I was given the opportunity to enroll back in school. So I went to Bluegrass Community and Technical College. I got my associate's degree in the environmental science program in technology. Uh, in 2012, I transferred to Kentucky State University in the College of Agriculture. 2017, I got my bachelor's in agriculture, food, and environment from Kentucky State oh, okay. University. How did you get involved in, in the interest of farming and such? Okay, so the actual specific interest of farming was when I transferred to Kentucky State University and got in the ag program. Mm-hmm. But I guess my overall ecological interest started when I started attending Bluegrass Community and Technical College. Mm-hmm. I had noticed early on that there wasn't a lot of black representation in most many of my classes. And actually, most of my classes, I would be the only African-American. Wow. And so coming off of doing hip-hop music, you know, <laughs> performing and turning up, so to speak, as the young people would say, it was a breath of fresh air for me, and it was real exciting, and uh, I had real excitable professors. That's and good. so I was just wondering, okay, why isn't it more people involved in it? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of started the snowball rolling for me getting into agriculture. Oh, okay. So you didn't grow up on a farm or no. around farming. Or what inspired you to start your organization, Black Soil? Tell us a little bit about it first, and then let, let us know how you got started. Okay, so I originally started programming in 2015 via my character, Farmer Brown DMC. Mm-hmm. That was my junior year practicum project. <laughs> and so the concept was using hip-hop audio and video productions to teach agriculture. Uh-huh. That came from conversation with my niece. She was seven at the time. She had thought that her hamburgers grew on trees. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was funny. And so once again, the same epiphany I had when I was in pursuing my associate's degree that there wasn't a lot of representation. I was asking myself, okay, why didn't I know about this? Because I was a non-traditional student. So most of my classmates were 18, 19. You know, I have nephews that age who have changed their (laughs) diapers. And so you can imagine how I felt. You had a different perspective, basically. Yes. And, you know, I knew I was going, I was in class for a particular reason. So I was able to really retain a lot of the information. What it came to me was, okay, how was I introduced to agriculture? And so typically as African-American through media, you know, a lot of what drives our taste and likes is through media. And so it would have been through slavery narratives like Roots, 12 Years a Slave, music like productions like that. If you look in social studies books, you know, the only time pretty much you're going to see uh, black people involved in agriculture, it'll be like a black and white picture, a slave picture. 
And so, you know, I came up in the time of Michael Jordan and rap music. And so <laughs> if you give me a choice between doing what this person in this black and white picture is doing versus what this person is doing on the court, uh, it was a no-brainer at that time. And so that was kind of the premise of the Farmer Brown, the MC project, like how to make, because it's a very touchy topic when you really break down. Of course, yeah. You know, all of the dynamics around it. And so I was thinking, okay, if I was wanting to get my niece interested in this, okay, I know she's young now, so she's not going to be going to college in the next two years. But what could I do to introduce it in such a way where it's not as depressing looking? (laughs) And so if you think about the impact that hip hop music has, not only in listeners, but just advertising, marketing around the world, it was kind of a no brainer. I had spent the majority of my functional life uh, doing hip hop music. And so at that time, I was trying to figure out, okay, what? Because, you know, agriculture, like anything else, it's a it's a team sport. I mean, it was there's 3.5 million farmers in North America. And so their success is based on being able to work together in the system. And so that was one of the things that I learned, you know, during my undergrad studies that, OK, I, I might not have the greenest thumb in the world. But say if you have a good farmer out in the rural areas that's not able to connect with possible urban consumers, OK, there's, you know, there's some niches between there. And so Farmer Brown is more of an educational kind of ag marketing character. So fast forward. So the original uh, research was to reach 300 kids. <laughs> it seems simple, but I reached that the first presentation that I that I had at my alma mater, Northern Elementary here in Lexington. Wow. And so from then, you know, I saw the engagement level of the kids, the excitement. Mm-hmm. And then so after after I got my results that I needed for my research, I figured, okay. You know, these kids, they're young, so how many different things are they going to be inundated with by the time it's time for them to make a decision about college? So that's where the actual programming came in. Mm -hmm. And so for the last three years, I've been doing a program at the Lyric Theater and Cultural Arts Center. It's called Fresh Shop, and it's basically an urban garden workshop. We go over different ways to garden, and the concept is, hey, even if you're in a city, even if you don't have a lot of soil around you, there are still ways for you to be a young agriculturalist. And just, you know, it's, it's a good segue into conversations about just niches and, you know, the importance and delicacy of a food system. So fast forward to uh, 2017, my partner Ashley and I, that's my wife as well. So she just got in a job at a land usage firm in Lexington. And the same situation I found myself in, getting an education where there wasn't a lot of representation, you know, she was at a lot of meetings and situations where it wasn't a lot of representation when it came to land usage. And so uh, one one day we were actually at my mother's house swinging on a tree outside, just kind of <laughs> talking. And that's where we came up with the concept of black soil, our better nature. I feel like everything living your better nature, you're in your better nature when you're outdoors, right? And so when applying that to, you know, our ethnicity, our community, you know, what is a positive way to really bring up this touchy topic? And so black soil, and then I guess my claim to fame with that is I added the better nature part.
Can you talk to us a little bit about the long history of African Americans in Kentucky, in particular through slavery, and why we see less and less African Americans involved in agriculture and agri-science? Okay, so I, I would never put myself in a space to speak for a whole group, but through my experience, different farmers that I've worked with. And so I do know the peak of African Americans involved in agriculture was in 1910, mm -hmm. when we represented 15% of the farmers in the country. That's right. Mm -hmm. That number is now down to 1.4%. So you think about the civil rights era, you think about all of the progress that's been made in certain other social areas. Mm -hmm. But when you look at land ownership, which is, you know, the cornerstone of wealth, yeah. we've drastically declined. Mm -hmm. And so it, it would kind of depend on who you ask, but there's different reasons. Obviously, there's been a, a broader cultural shift away from agriculture. In general. In yeah. general. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is the this is the <laughs> tech age where, you know, I'm not going to go outside if I can sit inside and be comfortable. There's a little bit of that. There's obviously been some nefarious aspects that uh, affected it. What most farmers understand, okay, you can't really predict the weather. Mm -hmm. And so one of the benefits of having a, a centralized government is, hey, can you come in and help me if I'm falling short? And so during that time, especially around the Depression, when you started to see this number drop, the USDA, you know, with the trickle-down concept, a lot of times it wouldn't trickle down to the black farmers. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they would have to give up their land. Yeah. Uh, many so that a lot of them lost their land. Yes, a lot of people yeah. lost their land. Uh, also during that time, the Great Migration up north. Yeah. So around this time, this is when agriculture started getting more commercialized. Mm -hmm. And then you had a lot of factories going up north. And so... Uh, and I make this joke with Ashley a lot. So down south, a lot of the women said, man, I'm not staying on this farm with you. I'm going up north and getting me a car. And, <laughs> and so as funny as it is, so that was a dynamic. Uh, you know, when you think about sharecropping, that was kind of debilitating because it was a thing like, okay, no matter how much I work, I'm constantly in debt, mm -hmm. right? And so kind of rewinding, I'm, I have to skip around because, like I said, this is a very complex, very uh, complex. topic. And so if you think there's a group, whether you want to call us black, green, purple, or green, you did something for 400 years mm -hmm. for free, Slave. and you did this day in and day out, mm -hmm. you would assume that, okay, you're pretty good at this, mm -hmm. right? And so that was one of the things that kind of got my mind going like, okay, this is something we're absolutely good at. Why isn't it more of us involved in it? Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, I don't know if you've heard of the story about Black Wall Street in Tulsa. No. Okay, so this was in the 1920s. There were a lot of, you know, this is after slavery was over and a lot of African-Americans started dispersing around the country. There were little hammocks or towns where, you know, the black agriculturalists, the scientists, the craftsmen, you know, built formidable communities. And there, sometimes with the government's help, sometimes with uh, hate groups, these towns were destroyed just yeah. out of hate. I couldn't give you a reason other than just hate. Hey, you have something. I don't think you should have it, so I'll destroy it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's a part of it. Like I said, some of the cultural aspect of people wanted to go north to the factories and work because that seemed to be a better option. We now see, once again, all farmers in America are now experiencing, like, okay, a lot of those jobs that state great-grandparents had, they're no longer here. Yeah. And so, once again, when we find ourselves in this corner where, you know, this industry's kind of threatened like it is, once again, the black farmers aren't really getting the help that they need. Because, once again, you have a whole country of farmers, the 3.5 million farmers, who are needing assistance. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that background. But bring us to today. Do you see a big shift back to farm living um, 
or um, people just wanting to grow their own food. Um, do you see that shift happening in the last few years? How do you encourage people to go back to the land? I absolutely see a shift. To gauge the magnitude, it would depend on what vantage point you're looking at it from. If you're looking at it up close, it seems very slow and dredging. Yeah. If you're looking at it from a far distance, mm -hmm. it excites me because you know, the, some of these buzzwords are starting to catch in mm -hmm. the community. People are starting to inquire about healthier food, organic. Yeah. It kind of seems like a vague mm -hmm. concept or definition, but the fact that it's a part of people's lexicon now, mm -hmm. that's promising. Cause, so now, you know, the conversation isn't necessarily explaining what it is. Now the conversation is, now what can you do? What are yeah. the action items around this? What is the accessibility for people to become involved in the agricultural industry? Right. How easy is it and how affordable is it? So realistically, and this kind of goes into the concept of my programming. Mm -hmm. And so once again, I'm coming from a place that never had a farm, don't have any <laughs> air property passed down to me. Yeah. But my wife and I, one of the main cornerstones of our relationship is we want to build something that we can pass down to our twins yeah. as they get older. And so I feel like whoever I'm speaking to, I'm more so speaking with, like, mm -hmm. hey, let's hash this out. What can be done? What are some strategies? I'm not going to lie. You know, as an extension agent, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, you can just once you learn how to grow something, you can be a farmer. It's definitely not that easy. But once again, the thing of networking, we mm -hmm. have 900 some thousand acres in Kentucky alone that's just left alone mm -hmm. because what you had, you had tobacco farmers. Obviously, tobacco went out as a, a viable crop. Uh, you had soy farms, okay, because of the trade war, you know, we're not selling as much soy. So you have a lot of this land up for grabs. Yeah. My thing is, okay, if you can teach a, or just in, engage a younger generation to see the value of that, mm -hmm. and this goes back to looking at it from a distance, you can see the value of this land, okay, if you're in, say, 10th grade now, spend the next few years kind of looking at what is your niche within agriculture, because these farmers who still own this land, mm -hmm. these companies who are still, you know, need a younger workforce, yeah. you know, develop something that you can get good at. Don't let another 10, 20 years pass that we don't understand how important agriculture is. One of the promising things is, so say the farmer in 1965, there was no such thing as social media. Mm -hmm. You might have had the greatest, the best watermelons around, but if you didn't have a way to get them to the community, it didn't really do you any good. I'm optimistic in those opportunities for the younger people. As far as just, you know, somebody wanting to go by land, that's very complex. It's very challenging because, you know, you have to have capital to start it. You know, Extension, I talk to a lot of farmers that are interested in getting started, and there's an excitement. And, you know, I'm, I would like to see myself as an optimistic person, but I think I'm more a realist than an optimist. It, it takes networking. Definitely. It really takes, you know, obviously there's different forms of capital. So this is one of the things we studied in my undergrad. So sometimes, okay, maybe I don't have the cash to pay you to come help me on my farm. Mm -hmm. But, hey, maybe you come help me on my farm. I help you build your fence. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe you have a tractor, but I have a, a good connection with where we can get some seeds. Let's swap. And so it's really, and I, and I hate to keep digressing away, but it's really a good conversation starter and analogy for so many other oh, aspects yes. <laughs> of living. Like, hey, yeah. you know, we're kind of in this land together, regardless of what we look like, regardless how we feel about one another. We all want to eat. Mm -hmm. We all want the best quality of life for our offspring. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, and to, if the world population, so we're at 7 billion now, and I think 2050, we're supposed to be at $9 billion. Mm -hmm. And so one of the points I uh, stress to the children that I work with is, hey, by the time y'all get old like me, y'all are going to have 2 billion more people on the planet that are going to want to eat, mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, justifiably so, they're going to want to have a quality of life. They're going to want to get on the digital <laughs> devices. So all of these are things yeah. that require energy mm-hmm. from natural resources. And obviously, to eat, you're going to need food. And so I try to get the kids to think about, okay, what niche can I hold within this? Mm-hmm. Am I an artistic person? Because guess what? Everything we eat, somebody has sold to us, yeah. right? Like I had to advertise this to you. Are you somebody that talks well? <laughs> I don't know how many f- farmers you've talked to, but I, I, I don't see them getting online doing vlogs or social media. And so it's just really being able to identify different people's strengths and and trying to channel it towards some niche within agriculture. I know some farmers, their full-time job is farming. I know some farmers, they have have regular full-time jobs, but they do just as well with their farming operations. So it's not any one way to be an agriculturalist. But I think as long as there's this passion and desire, long way around answering your question, yes, there's opportunity, but it's not necessarily an easy one. Yeah, and that's what fascinated me about your organization is you provide that network for the local farmers to be able to hopefully increase the awareness and help sell their crops and bring them back uh, back to the land. Tell us a little bit about some of the programming that you have coming up. We have different farm tours of Scott County. We're going to be in Fayette County twice this year, Jefferson County, Wayne County, and Logan County. Wow, you're all over the state. Yes. So you can learn more about Black Soil and our mission at blacksoil.life. That's blacksoil.life. Once again, as my grandfather would say, the simple stupid of it is what we seek to do is connect the rural producers and vendors and farmers with the more urban communities where you have a broader base of people. We do that with the tours. Mm -hmm. We take care of the transportation. We get the people from the city Mm -hmm. to go out to these farms, Mm -hmm. you know, really listen to the farmers speak, listen to their stories, Mm -hmm. and really smell it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to read something, but to really be there and feel it, Mm -hmm. to smell what's going on around you, to see these people in their natural element, Mm -hmm. it's something, it's soul lifting. It is. And then in the cold season, obviously, there's not too much to see on a farm. And so we have the farmers come into Lexington and we do off-season workshops, which yeah. is what you attended. Yeah, with the that, slack market. Yes. Yeah, and so what that does, it gives opportunity for the people in the community who may not want to, you know, go out in the rural area, mm-hmm. which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> it gives them opportunity to meet these farmers. Okay. But yeah, it's an, an experience to go visit a farm. As a city girl, I would consider myself very much a city girl. Yeah. Just visiting Kenya on her on her farm, Slack Market, and seeing her in her element brings something to your soul. Mm-hmm. Just the simplicity of it, but also the hard work of it that is so rewarding. Thank you for connecting me with her. And thank you so much for spending your time with us and letting us know about your organization. We look forward to seeing so much more from you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good day, everybody. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at L-E-X-P-U-B-L-I-B dot org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.